0: What's up? What's up? How y'all doing? Feel good? Yeah. Brittany feels good. Anybody else? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, I feel good. It's like almost fall. Man, look at all those teenagers. It's awesome. They were like hiding in the balcony, I think. Yeah. Like, wow. So welcome. Welcome to Upper Room. Welcome online tribe. If you're uh, viewing a live stream now or through the week, and uh, all the balcony goers. How's it going? How many have had a good week? How many are excited for a better week this week, regardless of how last week went? Yeah, uh, I had kind of one of those weeks, but um, it was a good week, just super busy. Um, We have four daughters. They're now all in school, and we had three different start dates, three different buildings, two different districts, so just a lot to, to juggle and do, and Um, I tried to be at the first days, like launch, get them off the, uh, out of the car or out to the building or whatever, and then when they get off the bus, So I've been taking like increments of like one and two-hour vacation slots from the fire department and like just trying to juggle all that. So anyway, it's good. I I was able to make it all, almost. We had one fire that made me late for one um, bus, uh, get home off the bus, but like I was pulling in the driveway as they were getting off the bus. So I was like, that was close enough. So crazy week. Um, But... Let me emphasize just a couple things before we get rolling here. Give some people time to get back in here from the kids. but. Uh, two things. Next week, we're part of Declare, and um, it's, it's just an amazing thing to unite the bride of, of Troy and the county, and a lot of churches are coming together, so next Sunday night, um, be sure to, to make it. It's at the uh, Treasure Island um, area of Troy, by the river there, the boat launch, so just be there. It's it's awesome. Caleb Ingram, who, who heads up Declare, just an amazing dude, amazing man of God, heart for uh, unity in the bride, a heart for uh, Jesus to be glorified, and a heart for worship. Uh, So I can't speak enough good things about Caleb, and I love being partnered with this. And uh, also, our very own Josh joins. You're going to see him here in a moment on video, sharing his testimony. He's going to be sharing his testimony um, next week there at Declare. And uh, man, I can't wait to brag on him after his video here in a minute, but I'll let him share it first, and then I'll expand on it. Uh, the other thing, we are um, starting, we're launching a new thing. This did not make videos, Nicole forgot to talk about it. We are launching a new uh, thing on Sunday nights. It will be Sundays from 6 to 7.30, fourth Sunday of every month. And uh, it will be uh, basically a launch pad, a, a cre- we're creating a, a thing for like the front porch. We're hearing a lot of people say, we don't know how to get connected. We want to be more closer into small group. We want to be closer and learn about supernatural or Holy Spirit or healing. And we're, so we're doing basically a thing for discipleship and this, this model. So ex- essentially, it's an experiment. Uh, We are experimenting to see what is the new wineskin, what does this look like, how do we allow people to have more buy-in, be more connected, and actually... be able to engage and add value in those areas So we'll meet together as a group And then go to those five areas of breakouts So we'll do an hour and, and you can pick a different breakout every week if you want But we think you'll kind of be drawn to one So there'll be one that's prayer and worship There'll be one that's Holy Spirit And the supernatural, lifestyle, supernatural Christianity uh, There'll be another one for health and wholeness One for discipleship and, uh, to- and one for family and relationships Healthy family, healthy relationships And how to navigate and healthy Confrontation, Things like that. So essentially what we're doing is we're creating an, a, a holistic approach to discipleship, allowing people to get connected where they're hungry for, and create a table where people can come in and engage and actually be a part of it. So we'll start together here, and then we'll break out into small groups for about an hour. And be very structured, very fun. It's the fourth Sunday of every month starting September 27th. So in uh, child care, will be here. We'll make sure youth are meeting that night at the same time. And youth, I think we're going to ask Mike and Jackie if they could help actually make it a missional night to help with the child care and create like a VBS for the kids while the youth are activated. And this, again, it's this whole thing reaching every generation here uh, on Sunday nights. And then we'll see where it goes. Um, I know we're talking to the, to the folks um, starting to plan what the, the Holy Spirit supernatural lifestyle breakout looks like. And uh, what that looks like outside of Sunday nights Maybe treasure hunts Maybe field trips where they're going and activating And praying for people on the streets And and different things So we're starting to dream into this and look And again, we just know we need to do something different We need to have some form of discipleship For the whole church Where people can engage and be activated uh, And yet, something that uh, we know the Lord's breathing on So this is the only thing we've heard so far And uh, we'll see how it goes So we hope you can make a commitment to one Sunday night a month um and this isn't let me just say we're, we're hoping it's whole church stuff and uh and that it, it's worth it that's that's what we're feeling we're feeling this is worth it and this is where we can all be one body in Christ so uh, that's enough of that how many are excited for that yeah It'll be good it, it'll, It's not in place of our small groups We're hoping it will add value to our small groups It's something in addition to But we know every person that comes is going to get fed And uh, you might get to engage with people You wouldn't normally be in a small group with Or wouldn't be in a house group or house church with Or, or go to dinner with And this creates those relationships Because we are talking about family So um, what are you hungry for? What do you want more of? Okay, so enough of that We are in a series on family, and I'm excited for today, and uh, I'm going to try to be quick. I've got a lot of notes. Usually, I have little notes, and I speak for an hour. Uh, Today, I'm going to have a lot of notes, and hopefully, speak for only two hours. So, just kidding. We'll get you out of here by by 1240 or so uh, p.m., a.m. We'll just do 1240 a.m. So... It's going to be fun, but we've been doing this series on family, and let me just briefly catch you up if this is your first week here, or you're new to Upper Room, or you haven't uh, caught the last couple live streams or whatever. So family is, we've defined it as, um, I I, I just threw out there a quote that said, family is the organized functioning unit of love. Family is a group of people who think different, who act different, who look different, uh, who come from different backgrounds, who come in in unity and have each other's backs, That's family. Family is rooted and grounded in love. Family is united in Christ. And family is messy. Okay? Family sometimes gets difficult. Family sometimes gets hard. And there's confrontation in family. There's conflict in family because there's conflict in covenant. It's not just about convenience. It's about covenant. So family means, and covenant means, that I'll take a bullet for you even if at times it's from you. Family means, listen, when you've offended me or hurt me, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to confront you and we're actually going to grow closer in this confrontation than further apart. We're not going to allow divisions or distances be created in family. We're actually going to use this as an opportunity to come closer together. It's this amazing thing that we and our kids are growing up in a generation of Facebook and social medias and different things where people feel really powerful sitting behind a keyboard and and then launching that message and doing a mic drop and never confronting it face-to-face, person-to-person and sharing feelings and navigating through those difficult times. It's creating this thing to where it's easy to talk about people behind their back, but we won't say that same thing to them in their face. That, that's not family family is covenant to where listen i'm going to brag about you the same behind your back as i am to your face and i'm going to confront you the same as if i tell somebody else about it and i'm not going to tell somebody else about it until we have that breakthrough and it's now a testimony because i've told you first that's family isn't gossip family isn't discord family isn't dysfunctional family is unity bringing diversity together as one All right? Now, that's hard. It's challenging. So we're navigating through that. We're established, and we're establishing and fighting for this thing. And we fight for unity. And once we have unity here, and we do, we fight to keep unity. And part of that is teaching and navigating through healthy relationships so that you're set up for success here in an upper room, as well as the kingdom, as well as your marriages or future marriages, as well as with your children or future children, that this thing called family is something that brings healthy relationships together together and we are closer to the Father in the process. And we see Him differently, and when our revelation of the Father changes, the revelation of ourselves changes, and we are sons and daughters of God. With that said, that's a lot of okay? With that said, we created a video series. And in the video series, we've been highlighting different people who've been impacted by Upper Room, the culture here, and the family. So today, we have Josh Joins that's going to share his testimony and answer a few questions about Upper Room and family and what it's been to him.
1: Joshua. I've been coming to the upper room since uh, January of 2020. One of my favorite things about the upper room is uh the worship. You know uh, the first time coming here was the first time I was you know exposed to worship music and especially it being live you know there was a whole different aspect to that and I never really around much live music and you know see everyone enjoying it and you know people with hands in there in the air and having fun you know I was was pretty excited to you know experience that for the first time. Uh, My second favorite thing about the upper room is uh, the people and the people I've met people I've gotten to know Um, you know when I first came I didn't know if I would be accepted because I have you know tattoos and Big holes in my ear, and a past with getting in trouble and drinking and doing drugs, and uh, you know when Zach, when Zach uh, invited me to come, you know I was I wasn't sure at first, but you know when I said yes, I I had to make sure I asked him if the church had fire extinguishers in case I burst into flames when I walked in, and that was one of the first things I checked on when I got here, was making sure there was fire extinguishers, but You know I couldn't have been more wrong because everybody was so accepting and loving and encouraging and you know I after I left service that first time I was really glad I came and I was looking forward to coming next the next week. The best thing about being in the upper room family is you know being loved, accepted, you know, everyone is encouraging. You know, I, there's people I can call when I'm having a bad day, or, you know, people call me to check it up on me. And, you know, it's just that whole feeling of being loved and accepted. And that's the best part about the Upper Room family. Uh, one of the most challenging things of being in the Upper Room family for me is knowing where I fit in. You know, knowing where, what my strengths are and what I can do to help others in the church and the church itself. The biggest transformation in my life since coming to the Upper Room was, again, that first service. Uh, after the service was over, it was the first time I had met Aaron, and he asked me if I had accepted Jesus as my savior, and I, I told him I had not. And him and Nicole uh, led me through a prayer to do that. And when the prayer ended, Aaron asked me how I felt. And after I said that prayer, it was like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulder. Like the things I had done in the past were still there, but I didn't have to carry them around with me anymore. I was forgiven. And you know, at that moment, I was ready to move on and know learn and follow the the plan God had for me. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, I typically attend the 9 a.m. service and you know if you're there I'd like to meet you and connect with you.
0: That awesome? Josh is a good dude, and uh, I told him for service he was here live, and I said, uh, man, just so you know, like, he's bragging and leaving a testimony about how we've blessed him, but he's been a breath of fresh air for Upper Room as a whole, and uh, just his heart for the Lord's heart, like, he's so eager to learn and learn the word, and, and, and Steve just has been spending some time with him and discipling him, and uh, I text, we, we chat every once in a while, about once a week, and it's just fun, but, man, Zach here, Zach's the one that invited him. And it's that it's that principle of honestly what family is. And and they are cousins, but but it's what it's what even the kingdom family looks like. That it says Paul said said Paul said, I'll plant a Paulus water, but God grows a seed. And it's that principle of like like Zach planted, he brought Josh here, and then God used Nicole and I and others to, to water and just lead him to Christ, and now God's growing Josh. And it's this amazing, beautiful thing. That's family. We're all working together. We're celebrating who each other is without stumbling over who we're not. We're, we're bringing the best out of each other. That, that's family. Uh, so last week, we kicked off this series of, of thinking, of Basically, there's three realms of thinking. There's three realms that we reference in the Bible. And and it's this process of once, like, this is all about the Father. And when we know the Father as Father, when we know Him as Creator, when we know Him as Savior and Healer, all of a sudden we begin to see circumstances in ourselves different. If we only see Him as judge, then we're always going to be in fear and not walking free as sons and daughters. All right, but here's the deal. There's sons, there's orphans, and there's slaves. This is something we kicked off last year focusing on what it is to be children of God What it is to be sons and daughters and how we think as sons and daughters as royalty He calls us a royal priesthood He says we were chosen we were we're a chosen generation We were called for such a time as this He's got plans for us to prosper hope and a future for us right There's all these beautiful things in 1st John 3 1 He says uh, see what love God will lavish on us because we are children of God That is what we are we went into where John and, and Jesus is telling the disciples, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I won't leave you alone. You're not orphans. You, you have a Father in heaven. You have a great Messiah who's your Father, who loves you, who, who adores you. Jason, last week we kicked off this thing, and, and it, we talked about the campfire and referenced that, and you can go back and watch it if you missed out on last week. But here's the deal. We were at a campfire, we had some friends over Jason and Kelsey were over Jason's over there behind the screen again this week And put that video together But he runs our social media And this week he just posted something This was literally a conversation as a campfire This was not something that was spoken from the pulpit And he, he quoted it No, we were just going around the campfire Of, of just talking about life, talking about things and, I, and I, I just began to share with them And a couple other young people there I said you know one of the things That had the greatest impact of a revelation to me Is that not, God doesn't just love me But he likes me So if you follow us on social media this week You would have saw that post that says God not only loves you but he likes you there's something that, that changes in that perspective that he not only loves me and sent his only begotten son to forgive me of sin and be crucified and resurrected, but he also likes me and is a companion, is a friend, is a beloved. Like, like he, I love what Todd White, he says, Todd White says, if, uh, if God had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture be on it. Or in your wallet would be your photo. Like, it's this amazing thing that God not only loves you, but he likes you. He wants to go on adventures with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be in communion with you and be intimate with you. It's this beautiful thing. So last week we also talked about that it's not just that he won't leave us as orphans, but we're no longer slaves either. Paul talks about in Galatians 4 and Romans 8, the spirit of adoption. Where we can cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. We get to cry out, Daddy, that we're no longer orphans, we're no longer slaves, but we literally are children, sons and daughters of God. So this week, uh, I want to highlight and really focus on orphan. Through the week, I started just to encounter some things, and last week we referenced the prodigal son and how he left as an orphan, but he returned as a son. We also talked about the older brother in the house resembling, you know, that law, that striving, that slave mentality, that slave mindset. So there's sons, and and here's the thing, sons receive— orphans feel they don't belong and slaves strive they strive and they try to earn um, significance earn love earn forgiveness earn freedom these things and there is a separation there we're going to talk about more of that next week here's the other thing sons are free orphans walk with shame and slaves walk in law Okay, and Jesus, God says, Jesus says, I came to redeem and fulfill the law. Not abolish the law, but fulfill it to where now you're saved by grace, not just works. Okay, so law is your striving. Orphans don't think, think that they're worthy enough, that they belong, that they're not good enough. And, and it's always this thing that I'm alone. Okay, and then, but yeah, sons and daughters. And by the way, let me just blanket this for today and the next two weeks. If I can be the bride of Christ, all right, ladies, you can be the sons of God too. okay. It's okay here. We, God is all three. He's, he's, he's all gender. He's, he's everything we need, okay? So that's just out there. So I'm going to be saying sons a lot, but that applies to all of us. Okay, so let me just talk about shame for a minute because I think it's important that the Lord kind of gave me this revelation, woke me up in the middle of the night this week to talk about the significance of shame and the significance of shame that attaches and oftentimes leads to orphan thinking. Let me just go back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had only heard the Father's voice, and they only knew the Father's voice. And then the serpent comes along in Genesis 3 and begins to tempt them and question them and so lies into their hearts and say, well, if you're this, then, then why not this? Or if you really eat that apple, will he not love you? He's, he's planting these seeds of doubt in them, but up to that point, they only knew the Father's voice. And then all of a sudden, sin comes in. Now, let me just tell you, there's sin, there's guilt, there's shame. And, and sin may, may cause us to fall Sin, sin may, may be pretty destructive But it's shame that keeps us there I, I word it like this Sin may take you to a place But it's shame that will keep you there And maybe even take you deeper It's easy for us Back to that love-like principle That Jesus loves us It's easy for us to think that Jesus came And redeemed us And was crucified on the cross For the redemption of our sins It's easy for us to think Okay, he loves us He forgives us of our sins But it's much harder to think he likes us and wants us to walk free from shame as well. There's this thing where shame is always trying to convince you of who you're not. Shame is attaching it to ourselves, and it tries to tell us and lie to us who we're not, while God's always telling us who we are. And when we begin to listen to a lie more than we're listening to the truth, it affects our thinking and who we are, and we become an orphan or a slave. And that's what happens. So shame attached to Adam and Eve after the sin. Sin came first. Then shame came, and they covered themselves up with fig leaves. They were covering who they really were. They were no longer free. They were walking free sons and daughters in the garden, naked and unashamed, unafraid, and total freedom with the father. All of a sudden, sin comes, shame's introduced, they listen to the voice of the enemy and lies of who they weren't, and then suddenly they had to cover themselves, and they're no longer free, but they're walking in shame now. Then the father says this. The father asks his questions, where are you? Ask Adam, where are you? Now that question was not, now, now God, he's, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he knows all, is all, right? He knew where they were geographically. He knew they were in the garden. But God asking out loud to Adam was this, was this, this question of intimacy and positionally in relationship. Where's your heart, Adam? Adam, who are you? What are you doing? Where are you right now? Where are you in, 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 in connection with my heart? It wasn't, where are you in the garden? What tree are you behind? What, what part of the garden? No, it's, where are you? Because he had got confused listening to the enemy and the serpent, and he got confused, and he became orphans. They became orphans. So it's this thing to where we become transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. So shame is constantly trying to steal the identity that God called us to walk in freedom, and we're constantly in the realm of saying, you're not good enough. And shame's always saying that you don't belong, and that you're worse uh, than you were before, and that you're worse than anybody else. That's shame. But shame's also trying to keep you quiet and hidden behind the lies of false identity. That's shame. And shame often attaches itself, and orphan thinking and and shame thinking go, go a lot of hand in hand. Here's the other thing You can kind of replace some of this with, with sons And then slaves and orphans With, with different mindsets of wealth or, or royalty thinking And poverty thinking And then with poverty thinking There's just two realms of that Slave or orphan So today we're focusing on, on, on that, that orphan thinking That poverty mindset And that realm of I'm alone I don't belong I'm not good enough Let me, let me move on here Jesus' baptism let's, let's go here Because see, God's created this family And if he didn't want family in the Lord's Prayer and several times through the Bible He wouldn't have us call him our Father He's created the family And and the government of heaven is family So we get into Jesus' baptism And let me just paraphrase for the sake of time and, and basically, Jesus approaches John the Baptist, says, hey, will you baptize me? John obviously doesn't feel worthy to baptize Jesus because he knows he's the Messiah. He's like, I'm not even worthy to wear your sandals, let alone baptize you. And then Jesus is like, no, you're, you're going to baptize me. How many of you have ever tried to argue with God and he always wins? No matter how hard you run, how far you try to get away. Yeah, this guy did. I'm not even going to be a Christian, let alone a pastor. God won, which means now I win. All right, you, you try to argue. You're not going to win. Just just submit and surrender to Jesus. So John did baptize him. Now here's what happens: Jesus is around 30 years old. He hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't preached Sermon on the Mount. He hadn't yet been commissioned to to be crucified or resurrected yet. He hadn't done anything. He's 30 years. Now, after this baptism, everything shifted, and Jesus' ministry opened up, and for three years, he walked the earth doing signs, wonders, miracles, and then eventually dying on the cross, fulfilling his assignment. But it was 30 years of alignment to walk as a son before he had three years of assignment to fulfill the great purpose we need to get that like as we get into the israelites we'll we'll touch on this like i want the 12-day journey to the promised land not the 40-year version and anybody else with me there now we'll get into that but here's the deal 30 years of alignment for three years of assignment 30 years to be a, a precious son the heavens open up the dove descends and rests on jesus and the Father says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We talk about this a lot, but I want to catch everybody up. My beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. This is so critical to know the life of Jesus up to that point and know that the Father's saying, I'm proud of you. Not for what you've done, but who you are. Listen, he's saying... He hadn't done a miracle. He's saying, this is my beloved son. As Leif says, we're human beings, not human doings. We get to be loved, be loved son, be loved daughter. We get to be still and know he's God. And we get to walk into this identity and walk as, as sons for the alignment for the assignment. But all of a sudden, if we ever get off course, everything changes and we no longer think and we can't receive. We have to either earn, strive, or not belong. Now, let me let me share another story. Steve Bowen and us, we were talking one time and... Like Steve throws out this nugget and this bomb of the the talents, the treasures And it's a story of a master and he has three servants And these three servants, one was given five talents One was given two talents and one was given one And I believe that in that story there's significance of identity It's not just a story and a revelation of stewardship and, and our position But it's literally identity The one with five, he invested it He took a risk, he invested, got five more The one with two, he said, I'm going to earn. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to earn, earn two more. The one with one, he was fearful, and he was afraid, and he was fearful of rejection or losing any. So he buried his one, didn't gain any in the process. As we get to the end of that story, and by the way, this is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, if you want to look it up and study it on your own. Matthew 25. As we get through this, at the end, he looks at the one that only had one and buried it and gained nothing, and he says, you didn't know me because you didn't know me because you didn't see me as master because you didn't know me as father because you didn't know my heart you did nothing and you won't join me for eternity here's what he was saying is the one with five knew that no matter what happened he invested and he could lose it all that the father would still love him because he knew him as messiah he knew him as savior he knew him as father so no matter what, he could lose it all And he's still going to be loved And he still has a position in the house He has a position at the table or the campfire But the one with two, I believe it says he earned He worked hard I believe the first one represents sonship Sons and daughters, children of God I believe the second represents slavery That slave thinking, I can strive and earn And, and, and be religious and, and be by the law And I believe the third is the orphan Doesn't know him as father now, here's what happens at the end of the story, too. He gives, gives the one and gives it to the one that had ten who had done well. There's favor. There's prosperity. There's, there's giftings that come once we know we are sons and daughters because we can receive, because we can, we can cherish, we can steward, we can, we can withstand. We have the character. We have the faith. We have the trust in the Father. That's the, this part of this story. So let's get to the meat of the message today, the Israelites. And we're going to be in Exodus 13. 14, 16, and 17. I referenced a lot of this last week. This is fun stuff. So let's start in 13, 17. Back to that 12 day journey that ended up being 40 years. Israel's wilderness detour is the title of my Bible there. Verse 17 When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land God said if the people are faced with a battle They might change their minds and return to Egypt (laughs) God's like they're not ready They're not thinking like sons and daughters They're still thinking like slaves and orphans And if they face a challenge If they run into a hiccup or a detour They're not going to have the right mindset and faith and trust in me as children To be able to, to, to know what I'm telling them so he's like, they got a lot to learn. How many want that 12-day that journey instead of that 40-year journey? Like, th- just show me. Don't, don't let me learn the hard way, God. Any, anybody else? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind when we think different, when we see different, when we see from heaven's perspective, when we know who we are and who's who are. When we have a revelation of the Father... Of how good God is, how powerful He is, how He's always got my best interest at heart, how He's going on behalf to the Father, on my behalf. Like He's interceding, the greatest intercessor on the planet is going on your behalf to the Father. He loves you and He likes you. So if you don't know this story, let me just catch you up and catch anybody up tuning in who, who doesn't know it. Basically, the Israelites was a, a, a nation of people that were stuck in Egypt for hundreds of years, and they were in slavery. And Moses has this vision and this promise and this prof- prophecy over him to lead him to a promised land, it flows with milk and honey, this amazing place, right? So they're trying to go, and Pharaoh, the king, the ruler of that time, Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. If you like watch VeggieTales or anything like that, you let my people go, right? Anybody with me there? Any VeggieTales fans? Used to love that. So. At any rate, so they, along comes these 10 plagues. I'm talking like frog infestations, water turning to blood, locusts, like all this crazy stuff happens, right? So finally Pharaoh's like, enough is enough. You can go. And then all of the people then are frustrated too and fearful of like, what's next? These 10 things just happened? I don't want any more. Go and take everything we have. Here, here's our gold. Here's everything. Go. So now it says this. God knew they weren't ready, so he took them on the long route. They weren't ready. He says they weren't ready for battle if something challenging came. So then we get to this. Now here's where kind of the storyline begins to repeat itself. How we think determines how we act, how we see the Father, how we see ourselves, how we see people, how we see situations, how we see our workplace. That it becomes frustrating rather than an assignment. It becomes something that brings us down Rather than we get to bring light to Rather than, than, than this place that we just have to go suffer through it Now it becomes, I get to do unto the Lord there When I think like a child I think in opportunity And I think in promises, not problems So here's what happens Israel looked up, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 10 It says, Israel looked up and panicked When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them Now here's what happened the Egyptians kind of like had a light bulb go off, like the painting today. Like, they had this light bulb go off, and they're like, oh, wait, they basically just, God tricked us and they took everything we had. Now they're chasing them. And it says, Why did you, and they, they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here and die, to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. How many think that sounds like slave and orphan thinking? We're all alone out here. Now we're just going to die. Then it says this. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt. I already read that. It'd be better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Then verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians... See today, we'll never be the sea today will never be seen again The Lord himself will fight for you Just stay calm Then this crazy thing happens As you read on on your own What happens is all of a sudden They, they approach this Jordan This, this area, this, this sea, okay And they approach this area And all of a sudden God separates this land of water This, this body of water They walk through it, alright Imagine water on each side of you You get through safely to the other side The enemy's behind you The water all comes back in how many would that be enough for you to like, okay, yep, I trust God now? Anybody else? I, I want to say that I'd be there, but unfortunately, this entire group of people weren't there yet. So let's move on to chapter 16. Verse 2. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Everybody say, wah. That's what orphans do. They cry and complain more than they focus on God as the solution. And it says, "If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt," they moaned. There we sat around with our pots full and uh, with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you." Now comes the apple fritters from Jim's Donuts. They just start raining from the sky every day. All right, or whatever your favorite pastry or donut is. Right? It was supposedly sweet bread that rained fresh every day. Now, how many now, you're complaining You don't have food, you don't have bread And now bread is literally dropping from the sky Every single day How many would that be enough I want to say yes, unfortunately still not Because how many knows what goes good with donuts Is coffee or chocolate milk I heard one amen on that There should have been at least a hundred Okay So now we get to 17 Now they're thirsty Here's what happens verse 2 so once more the people complained against moses give us water to drink they demanded quiet moses replied now i think moses is starting to get a little irritated like i can just hear it in that in that quiet like enoughs enough come on orphans and slaves be sons and daughters and he says this he says why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the lord but tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Now, now this, is, this is pretty amazing because here's, here's the deal. The Israelites consistently thought that they weren't going to be taken care of. They consistently worried about where food or water or the journey was going to happen. They consistently thought they were alone. They consistently thought that God was not going to provide or protect them. Now here's the deal. A son or a daughter doesn't know everything. A son or a daughter in that thinking don't have all the answers, but you trust the Father. Moses says he cried out to the Lord He didn't know He didn't know what to do He didn't know where to, where, like, what, what the answer was Or what the solution was But he knew who the source of the solution was That's the thing about sons and daughters We may not know how that prayer is going to get answered Or when or what way Even though we may have an opinion on it But we trust the Lord is in our best interest And he's working ahead of us as he's promised like that's the difference between a son and daughter and an orphan and slave is I'm not gonna strive and take this into my own hands. I'm also not gonna sit back and do nothing because I think like just nothing's gonna work out because it's doom and gloom and I don't belong and I'm alone. No, a son just petitions to the Lord, say, Lord, what do you wanna do about this? And I have trust, I have faith, and I have confidence he's gonna work it out. So that's Moses. And here's what the Lord said: Walk out in front of the people, take your staff. The one you used when you struck the water of the Nile and called some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the, as the elders looked on. Wow, wow, wow. This is Moses being a son, trusting the father, leading people who are orphans and in slavery into a promised land of thinking like sons and daughters. And every time they had a need, God met the need. How many can trust that? Like as a son or daughter, every time we have a need, he, he's going to meet my need. He, he not only loves me, he likes me. And it's this amazing thing that, that first off was, was the safety. It was being saved from evil It was being saved from that sinful nature Then Jesus is also the bread of life And he's the source of eternal thirst quenching Like he's that good He rained manna from the sky And he made a rock flow with a spring of water forever Because he quenches our thirst before we ever even have it He's that good Let me, let me move on here Let me tell some stories in, in the band or somebody can come <clears throat> I want to tell a story of when Nicole and I. We there's different thinking, and there's different things in our life that have changed us and and literally transformed us. I remember sitting uh, one night at a place like, man, I, I can't even believe we belong at this table, sitting with these amazing international leaders, and like, wow, this is, wow, I don't, I don't, this is like unreal. Well, one time, Lave and Jennifer came to town, and um, Lave Hetland is a spiritual father, mentor to us, and. Uh, just a a really important part of this house and and our family and my dad and everybody so he came here once and it was his first time ever here didn't know me or us very well and uh, he wears these these shirts these Robert Graham fancy shirts they have the fancy sleeves and the fancy collar right and um, I, I saw some of them like Chris Volatin and Bill Johnson and others wearing these fancy shirts I'm like those are cool you know, and uh, didn't know what they were. So Lave's like, hey, is there like a shopping area we can go to? And uh, I didn't realize at the time, Jennifer hates shopping. She hates going shopping, hates shopping for clothes. We're like, yeah, let's go. And I'm thinking this is going to be a fun time for all of us. So Jennifer, Nicole, and me and Lave, we all, we all go down to the green. And he's like, who would have Robert Grahams? I, I Google it and find Von Marr sells Robert Grahams. So we go in there, and uh, we go, and he's like, which, which one? which one would look the best on me? And I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. Oh, my gosh. I looked at the price tag. I was like, yeah. And I, I go, and I was like, oh, this purple one looks good. Didn't, didn't check anything out. And he's like, oh, I like that one, too. He's like, ooh, a special edition. Nice. So he gets one, and it takes it up to the counter, and they put it in a fancy bag. And I, I, I all of a sudden see the price before he swiped his car it was $230. I'm like, whoa, for a shirt. Like, that's like five outfits for me, Okay. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then he hands it to me. And uh, he tricked me. He he bought it for me. And um, in that moment, all of a sudden, the orphan spirit rose up. And I thought I had come to a, a level of wealth thinking. But when you're handed an outlandish gift that you would never pay for on your own, all of a sudden, it checks the orphan thinking in your heart of if you're worth that or not, and if you are that valuable. Now I wouldn't go spend that every day now on shirts. Sure. Like this was on sale for ten bucks last night at, at Vans. Like I'm good. But the thing is, when I received that gift, it just checked my heart. Then all of a sudden we walk outside and I'm like I'm like walking around like in shock. And then I'm thinking like, man, how many how many kids could this feed? Like man, I can't believe this is. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. I feel so insecure right now. I feel so so bad right now. I feel guilty. You know Those were the emotions that were, that were stirring up just from receiving that outlandish gift of a shirt. Go outside, Nicole, she's nine months pregnant. She's like, out to here. And he's like, "Hey, let's get you an outfit. You could use a, let's get you a pretty outfit." And Nicole's like. And Jennifer's like, if you don't buy a nine-month pregnant woman an outfit. That's the least thing she wants right now. So her glasses were on like this and just like $5 glasses that we would typically buy. And he's like, okay, let's, you know, let's get you some sunglasses. And I'm like, yes, let's do that. Yes, sunglasses sound great. That should only be about $25 to $30. Let's, let's do that. Nice sunglasses. And we go into the sunglass hut, and he's giving her all these glasses. And she, he's like, "Do you like those? Do you like?" And he's being really pushy. She's like, "Yeah, yeah these are nice." He's like, "Okay, let's get them." Scans them, pays for them, two hundred dollars. And all of a sudden, like something rose up. I couldn't speak on this for a year, and for a year I felt guilty that they lavished us with those kinds of gifts when they didn't even know us. But for him. This was a $400 investment that would change the way we think and change the way we see ourselves and change our entire value system to think like sons and daughters, not orphans and slaves. I didn't do anything to earn those gifts. I didn't deserve them. I've never worn that expensive of a shirt ever. Mic drop. Uh, Ever. And yet... This is the love that a father and the father is pouring out on on what would be a son. This is the father still giving us outlandish gifts that we don't deserve like mercy and grace and favor and influence and promotions and money and finances that we could fund the kingdom these are these are things on everyday levels everyday levels it's not maybe a shirt or sunglasses but it's something else that the father in heaven's handing us and are we going to steward it like a son or a daughter or are we going to steward it like an orphan or a slave and think we don't belong or think that we need to earn it let me let me use one more example here i promise this is my second and almost final closing let me put it in terms of a dining experience Last week I ended of how sons and daughters think. I want to tell you how orphans think. Sons and daughters go into a dining experience, and Nicole and I got to experience that on our 10th anniversary. We... we, we I, I was so proud to get to 10 years. We were gonna get divorced at three. So when we got to 10, it was like, boom. I did full wedding ceremony here. We did communion with our daughters. My dad remarried us. We had a little reception out there. James was kind of like a little DJ. Ashley was taking photos. We went on a second honeymoon to St. Lucia. And on the night of our anniversary, 10 years, we lit up this, this like candle thing that's illegal. But we went to this, this restaurant. And you had to go there. It was an hour taxi, then a half hour boat ride to go at this place on the water in this open thing. We heard it was the best restaurant on the island. I was like, I'm taking my bride to the best restaurant. I'm a son, I think in terms of wealth. I'm not saying that we could afford it. I'm saying I thought in terms of wealth. So, so we go and it's like here, compliments of the chef, this little tiny appetizer. And then here, here's a, a wet towelette with mint on it. You can refresh yourself. And here's sorbet to cleanse your palate before the next course. And course after course after course. We were thinking in terms of wealth and son and a daughter there. And we're like, wow, what is this? This is amazing. Our portions weren't big. It wasn't about the quantity in which we could eat. It was the quality and it was the dining experience from start to finish of two hours. Not just what can I get, how fast can I get it, and let's move on. It was this experience to have communication with my wife and have this intimate moment and this experience of a dining experience we've never had like at any time in our entire life. And it was the first time that we had something like that. It was amazing. And we felt like we belonged. Why? Because we were thinking in terms of son and a daughter based on previous experiences to take us out of orphan thinking. Now, an orphan thinks a little different. They're gonna think that, man, if if they go there, they'll probably just sit by themselves anyway they don't belong. They're not going to fit in. They're not going to be wearing the right thing. And man, when, once the food comes, they're going to be so full because they're going to eat it so fast. They don't know if more's coming. Then they're going to put all the condiment packets in their purse because they don't know when they get home if there's going to be ketchup in the fridge. Then there's free refills on the Cokes. So they're going to just, even when they're past the point of like feeling like they're going to throw up, they're going to still get another one because it's there and it's free. Okay? And there's these other things that, that uh, I'm, I'm better... Uh, is there enough food? How much is it? There's these, these ways of thinking. Whereas a slave, they're going to think and they're going to go to that restaurant. And they're going to be like, well, maybe we can do dishes to help offset the cost. Or here, I'll, I'll stack all the dishes up and, and I'll, I'll, I'll put all the trash in this one area. That way I can tip the waitress less because I've done part of her job or his job. Right? That's, that's slave thinking. I'm going to earn my way there. Or I'll work extra overtime so I can pay for that dessert. I'm not saying that's bad. We do that. We're like, got overtime this week. Let's take the kids to dinner. There's things in that. But then it's our approach of how we think of ourselves. It translates. Okay? So an orphan thinks, I'm alone. I'm the only one that thinks this way or acts this way. I don't belong. I'm not good enough. And I don't measure up. An orphan thinks, I have to help my kids achieve their success. I have to figure out a way to achieve success in my career. I have to figure out the way to pay for these bills on my own. I have to get blank to like me. I need to be better at blank. I need to be funnier. I need to be prettier. I need to be smarter. I need to be more successful. An orphan thinks, I wish I had someone who truly knew me and loved me no matter what. An orphan thinks, I wish I had someone who truly cares about me and cares about what's going on in my life. An orphan thinks, I wish I had someone who would help me. Here's how a son or a daughter thinks. I am loved, I belong, I am God's favorite child, I am loved, I am cherished, I am worthy, I am holy, I am called a royal priesthood, I was called for such a time as this, I belong at the table, I belong in this church, I belong in the kingdom. It's not entitlement, it's not disrespect, it's I am loved. And the creator of the universe created me and loves me. And no matter who rejects me, I'm accepted because I cannot be rejected when I know Jesus accepts me. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I am cherished. I am his chosen generation. That's how a son and a daughter thinks. I, I'm not going to focus on problems. I'm going to focus on promises. I'm not going to focus on issues. I'm going to focus on, on God's plan and promises in my life. And guess what? I'm not gonna be wrapped up around the problem. I'm gonna be wrapped up around who creates the solution of that's Jesus. I have faith and I have trust and I submit. I may not have the answers, but I know my daddy, my father in heaven, provides. Won't you stand with me? <clears throat> Here's what I called the first service. I called this a shamectomy. I'm sorry, an orphanectomy. Those of you here in the medical field knows an ectomy is a removal of. So we're gonna do an orphanectomy, okay? Any orphan mindsets, orphan thinking, orphan spirits, okay? There's an orphan spirit. That is all these things I've been talking about today, all right? And there's a thing called sonship, and there's a thing called the spirit of adoption, all right? And it's what Paul talks about in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, the spirit of adoption. So one of the things that we do, and, and a lot of times sozo and different things, is we give God something we give him our sin, he gives us freedom. And we trade that. There's trades, all right? We give him fear, he gives us peace. And there's different things that we oftentimes, even with a visual, that we offer up, and then we bring down what the Father's saying in our hearts. And we're going to do that today. All right, so anything I've said today that's triggered something, that maybe is like an orphan mindset, or like, oh, yeah, that's me. I think like that sometimes. Or, yeah, wow, wow, that, I, I can relate to that. What we're going to do is we're just going to offer that up. We're going to close our eyes and do this. And with your mind's eye, you're just going to give that to the Father. And then in exchange, he's going to give you something else. He's going to give you the spirit of adoption. He's going to give you the Father's heart, his love, his acceptance, all right? His, his validation, okay? His adoration. He's going to give you these things, all right? And he's just going to put it and tuck it in your heart. So just close your eyes with me. I'm just going to lead you into this. If you're at home or watching through the week, just close your eyes we're going to just act like we're just packaging this up. Lord, we, we thank you for today. And Lord, there's, there's times where I feel like an orphan or I don't belong or I don't fit in or I'm not worthy or good enough. And Lord, the truth is that none of us are without you. So Lord, when we're in you, when your presence and you live in us, we are worthy. We are holy. We are called for such a time as this. So Lord, any orphan thinking, any orphan mindsets or any orphan spirit... Lord, we just we just give up to you. So just package that and just just give it up to heaven. Just with your mind's eye and just physically lift that up with your hands. Just lift that up, let him take it from you. And just ask him, Lord, what will you give me in exchange for that? What will you give me in exchange? I just want you to just take a second here. Just pull that down. Lord, we thank you for sonship and just put that in your heart. We thank you for the spirit of adoption. We thank you that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We thank you that we've traded you insignificance and you've put significance. We've traded you being a nobody and you put in us being a somebody. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for just your affirmation, your acceptance. Lord, we thank you that you validate us. You are our identity. Not a title, not what we do on earth, but who we are in you. We are sons. We are daughters. We belong, and we are loved. We thank you, Father. You're so good. We bless you. (sighs) Thank you,
1: Jesus.
0: (laughs) Just begin right now. Just hold your hands out. I believe he wants to just lavish some people with love. It may not be a Robert Graham shirt. It may not be Ray-Ban sunglasses but it's something he wants to pour out his gifts right now. So just hold your hands out. Just receive the love that you need today. Receive the affirmation you need today. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for being lavished by your love, unconditional love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy when we don't deserve it, but you give it because you love us because we're your children. That is what we are. We Thank you, Jesus. We receive the fullness of your promises. We receive the fullness of your love, the fullness of your freedom. Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Josh Joins, who shared his story, was forever changed one day after church when I simply just asked him, have you ever heard of Jesus? Have you ever accepted him in your heart? Have you ever asked for forgiveness? And uh, he said, no, no, none of that. Never heard of him. So We never like to end any service without being intentional about inviting you into the greatest relationship you'll ever say yes to. Also, if you need prayer for anything, you need healing in your body, healing from a diagnosis. If you need healing in a relationship or deliverance in any way, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, But the rest of you, sons and daughters, you may go. May you be blessed and highly favored. May God's face shine upon you. We love you. Uh, Just have an amazing week. And I hope you encounter the Father's love more and more and more and more through the week and through the nights. Jesus' name. We bless you guys. Have a great week.